did I see you out for a run last week when yeah. I was on my lunch ride? Yeah, that was me. That was oh me in the God. goofy run setup, jogging along, looking like I was dying. But Spencer, I hit a milestone on my run Is that your foot day. okay? Uh, I ran my 1,000th mile oh, of 2018. That, that kind of milestone. I got yeah. You. No, it was a big deal because, uh, you know, I, I track my miles. And whether you're a runner or a cyclist, a swimmer, if you track your distance, then you are a perfect potential customer for our good friends, Health IQ. Health IQ, the life insurance company that works with healthy individuals. You've heard us talk about Health IQ over the last few months, and right now they have a great deal. Spencer, where can folks learn more about this deal? Yeah, Fred, if you're an active person like Fred or myself, all you have to do is go to healthiq.com slash velonews, and you get a free quote on life insurance, up to half a million dollars in life insurance coverage. And it's a, it's a great way to sort of encourage you to get out and be active and to get that coverage. HealthIQ.com slash VeloNews. Did you hit any milestones uh, on your rides this weekend? Uh, no, but I, I've been kind of ramping it back up, though. I think I'm probably on the hook to ride Dirty Kansas next year. So I got mm. to start logging mm. some hours, man. I'll tell you what. Yeah, that's definitely going to count towards your health IQ totals. Well, again, HealthIQ.com slash VeloNews. And thanks again to HealthIQ for their support of the VeloNews podcast. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Velo News Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer, Editor-in-Chief of Velo News. I am back after uh, a week hiatus. We were publishing the print magazine for Velo News last week. It got real busy. But folks, I think you're going to be really pleased because we have a redesigned new look Velo News magazine coming out. A uh, bunch of new categories, new features, a bunch of cool stuff in there. I'm seeing guys shaking their heads. They think it's cool. Dane, do you think the new Velo News is cool? Oh, it's way cool, Fred. Yeah, we have all sorts of stuff in there. Training advice, tech advice. Spencer, what do you think about the new Velo News? Eh, it's yeah. kind of whatever. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's going to be the best magazine you've ever seen. Cool new logo? Guaranteed. We got some new logos. We got some new... Uh, new size of the magazine. We yeah. have all sorts of new things. We're just we're disrupting also, News magazine. Good content. That's also a part of it. That's yeah. a good thing in there. Yeah. So check it out. We're, that's going to be hitting newsstands in a few weeks here. Uh, but guys, we don't have just magazines to talk about. We have lots of news from the world of cycling. We are going to be talking this week about cyclocross national championships because we are just a few days out from the launch of 2018 Cross Nationals in Louisville, Kentucky. Nice pronunciation. Well, well done. Uh, we have our managing editor, Chris Case, who will be on the scene filing lots of reports for VeloNews.com on the action down there. So we're going to preview the action, talk about some of the protagonists, the storylines going on there. Uh, later on in the show, we're also going to hear from American TJ Van Garderen, who's making the jump to uh, EF Education First for 2018. 19. Dane, you caught up with TJ. How, how is old TJ? TJ's doing good. He was uh, he was in California. He's splitting his time between California and Colorado. And now's a good time, I think, to be in California because it's starting to get a little cold and snowy here. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were having their first team camp down in LA for the American guys, at least, or the North American and, and Rigo uh, are headed over to California this weekend. So hopefully he enjoyed himself. I think uh, that was going to be his first real interaction, I think, with a lot of the guys that he didn't already know. And yeah, he'll get some ideas on his program for the year and all that good stuff. But he already had some some uh, idea on his role for the season, so uh, we were able to talk about those kinds of things. Yeah. Man, it's going to be weird to see him in green. I'm just going to uh, say I know. that. Yeah. You know, I'm so used to seeing the electric – well, not green, but the, the pink of EF. And I, TJ, I just have synonymous with BMC Red 
from an editor's standpoint, this gives me fits because I'm just so terrified that I'm going to accidentally oh, yeah. do like parentheses BMC racing next to his name in some story on velonews.com in February or whenever. I need to like put three or four post-it notes on my computer screen to just constantly remind me that he is on EF education first for 2019. I think I, think I put Vincenzo Nibali parentheses Astana into like... I don't know. Maybe his second season with Bahrain at one point. That was pretty bad. Well, that's so, just yeah. an ironic throwback by that point. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Well, uh, luckily, BMC is also changing its colors. Uh, otherwise, you think about being TJ. You know, you mm. see someone else go up the road and you're supposed to chase him down. You're like, no, nah, it's BMC. Oh, I'm not on that team anymore. Yeah. yeah. If I were a pro cyclist, I would have that that problem constantly. Colorblind? Uh, just, you know, <laughs> not very with, with it, not with the times. Hmm. Uh, before we get to that, though, we're going to talk cross-nationals. Before we get to cross-nationals, we have some news to get to. Uh, we've had some news pieces over the last few days that have been very strange. Uh, the first piece of news, take me through this, Dane Cash. It involves Peter Sagan. It involves Spring Classics. It involves a potential new race to his campaign in 2019. What's going on? Yeah, so Sagan, I guess at the uh, Bora Hansgrohe team camp, team presentation this week, said that he was going to extend his classics calendar all the way through the end of the Ardennes, race liege Beston liege which, you know, he's raced Amstel in the past, and he's done well at Amstel in the past, but this would be his debut at Liege, I believe. And uh, that's pretty fascinating. I think he's the kind of rider where you expect he might be able to do something. He's not a favorite, but he might be able to do something at Liège. And I think just in years past, he didn't really want to – it was just too much racing. I love it. I love this idea. This is awesome. It's going to be a great spring season if he goes all the way through the Ardennes like that. Yeah, I feel like his success at Amstel last year, you know, he made that final group. He was very aggressive. In fact, I feel like he made the last surge uh, right before um, our good friend – Oh, geez. Michael Valgren. Michael uh, Valgren went, yeah. yeah. went on to make the winning attack. Uh, I feel like Sagan was just about, he was as in that battle as anyone. Definitely. Um, similar type terrain, pretty hilly, pretty long. So, I, yeah, if I were Peter Sagan, I would think, wow, you know, man, I should I should try to build up for something like a liege Bestel liege But, guys, liege Bestel liege is long. Yeah. It's hard. Yep. I think that favors him, though. I, I feel like a race that's longer, like Liege, will be better for a rider who just is purely talented, not necessarily a climber specifically or something like that. If it was shorter and the climb's more pronounced, I feel like that's when a pure climber would be able to to put the wood to Peter Sagan because they would have that acceleration. But by the time they get to La Redoute, they're so, so tired. I just don't see it happening. Well, you see, I remember watching this uh, version, what was it, 1999? They went up La Redoute so fast. Huh. So I don't know Weird. if Peter Sagan mm. can hang out. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's really strange. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I wonder about Sagan on something like uh, La Redoute and the Rochefaucon because those are pretty steep climbs, but there's enough distance to the finish line, yep. I feel like, that in usual years, not this year when Bob Jungels made everyone look silly, there's a regrouping, and then everyone goes up this Col de Saint Nicolas, which is not particularly long or steep, but they're so tired, it makes them feel like they're going up Mount Everest. Yeah, this year, I think being different might pe- make people forget, but just how often it's, it's sort of an Alejandro Valverde hanging on until the end fest. And I think if Peter Sagan is also there, mm. that's uh, that changes things completely because there's he's going to be the guy that could beat Valverde in a sprint. And that's a very tactical sprint there in the in the final there. Someone who who knows how to play a sprint right knows which wheel to follow. That's that's a huge advantage in Liege Baston Liege, almost more so than climbing. I think. Well, it's a great storyline to follow in 2019. Sagan at Liege. 
Uh, I, I think it's normal, huh? Yeah, yes. Who thinks he can get a top tenner? Oh, definitely. Everyone. Yeah, yeah top definitely. ten. I'd say so. He's top five at uh, Amstel twice. So for me, yeah, why not get him on the podium? I say on the podium. All right, podium for Peter Sagan. I like it. Uh, moving on, the other one, other interesting piece of news that came out of this past week: uh, Lance Armstrong, uh, noted podcaster, rival podcaster. Mm. No, he's not a rival. He That would imply he's an equal to us, <laughs> yeah. which I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, as aspirational rival podcaster Lance Armstrong and his 11 million zillion listeners um, did an interview with CNBC in which he said that he made a very wise investment with rideshare corporation Uber, uh, which we've all taken Ubers, um, and that the investment has paid off in fact, he uh, it feels like it saved his family. Was the quote made a hundred grand investment at a very crucial time? And the interviewer asked him, like, threw a bunch of like big numbers out there, like forty million, fifty million. It, the exact quote is, "What are we talking? Ballpark: ten, twenty, thirty, forty, fifty million. So the 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 floor here is ten million. Yeah, it just goes up from there, and it's and one Lance of those numbers. <laughs> was like t- like touched his nose." And like signaled it's one of those numbers. And was like yes. <laughs> I yes. also I think it's just deliciously funny that it's Uber. It's Uber of all the ride it's share not companies. Lyft. The embattled Uber, yeah, which yeah. is a bit controversial, has had its issues over the years, and that's what's making Lance the money. Yeah. <laughs> I I, th- I found this um, entire thing a little strange that Lance was um, talking about his investments, and he talked about Tom Weisel and some other things from the past. But um, when they had him on the screen, they. They were mentioning his uh, VC, his venture capital fund, which leads me to believe is is Lance setting himself up for a new business opportunity, which that would be VC Bro Lance. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Hey, he's got that Uber money to play around with a few mil. Why not? I like it. Throw it out Get there. him on Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, I would invest. I would give my money to VC Bro Lance. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, strange people shaking their heads, nodding their heads. No, maybe not. <laughs> What what money do you have to give to him, Fred? Anyway, oh yeah, good good point. Hey, Mr. Armstrong, I got about five dollars yeah. in my piggy bank. This uh, this moth that just flew out of my pocket. I'll invest it with you. Yeah. Um, last piece of news. I don't know if you guys saw this one. This was just blowing up my Twitter. This was all over the um, airwaves. It was huge, huge news. <laughs> Lars Boom has won the European Beach Race Championships. He's back. He's, he's, he's mounting a comeback. Wait, wait, what are the beach race championships, you ask? Uh, beach racing is potentially my favorite new, <laughs> newly discovered uh, format this is, this of bicycle is why, racing. This is actually why Fred wasn't on the podcast last week, because he was just watching a be- beach, beach, race. beach racing yeah. replay, like a 60-kilometer race on on the beach of Depana, Bel- uh, Netherlands, and just... Netherlands, right? Or yeah. Belgium, yeah. Imagine a mass start mountain bike race on a pan flat windy sandy cold awful beach in the low countries um pack dynamics surges people being blasted in the face by sand gnarly deep sections and then you have and and just it looks like chaos uh and that is what a beach race is i i recommend everyone go take a deep dive in the youtube videos of the uh three the depana beach race 
for I will example, say that sand is surprisingly firm. It's yeah. not as loose and soft as I thought. They're on kind of normal, well, not normal mountain bikes. They're on weirdo, nerdy European mountain bikes that have like rigid forks. And Well, Lars <laughs> is on uh, a drop bar bike. I think the bike tech is kind of interesting because oh. if, if you watch the race, you see mountain bikes and then you see some drop bar types, so cross-type bikes. It's a wide variety of uh, tech options. Speaking you, of VCs and disruptors and everyone, if any American promoter out there wants to just disrupt the world of American bike race, uh, start a beach race yeah. championships. There is one in North Carolina. Okay. Yeah. But it's fat bikes usually, I think. Yeah. It happens, I, I think, every winter. We need yeah. like mountain that, bikes. That one's cool yeah. though. Road they have bike jumps and stuff. Or something. They no. have like jumps and stuff. That one looks fun. Eh. That looks way more fun than no. blasting down the eh. Naka Heist in a, in a freaking, you know, echelon or something. This is not beach race. Ah, it's no, normal. No, come no. on. Come on. You know what this is though? This is Lars Bohm just trying to be disruptive and finding a new way to, you know, do an alternative race and expand his appeal to a new set of fans. It's just, yeah, really smart thinking. The real beach race heads out there. From what I could yeah. tell from watching the clips, there's usually one direction on the beach is intense headwind, awful, being blasted in the face by sand. And then they go down the beach, which is crazy tailwind and people getting squirrely in deep sand with uh, with, a, with a tailwind. And you just do that over and over and over again until some hearty strongman from the low countries emerges victorious. Lars, Lars Boom. Uh, well, that was the news roundup. Um, let's get on with our CrossNats preview. Guys, it's coming up this weekend. CrossNats, the second Cyclocross Nationals of 2018. Yeah, 18.2, as they're calling it. Okay. Um, it's like a Windows update. So, so this race is going on in Louisville, Kentucky. Indeed. And it is going on at Joe Creason Park. Now, Spencer, last fall, we sent you out to Joe Creason Park to cover the round, the national race that was there. What can you tell us about the course, the features, the, the expected dynamics you expect to see on this course? Yeah, last year they, they had the Pan American Championships at this venue. I thought it was a great venue. It's got lots of terrain to work with. It has this sort of long, grassy, rolling hillside that starts up at where the start-finish area is and then descends several hundred feet with a few different kind of channels or or I guess you'd call them drainages that afford some interesting terrain. There's plenty of ways to do some off-camber on this course. There's some fairly extended descents and climbs that I think will really put a premium on a rider who's able to to put in these 30-second climbing efforts. And it's, uh, it's going to be especially hard also if it ends up as a muddy race. And last year, this race, of course, was held, I think, in November, so earlier. But it was a bit muddy, especially the first day. It did start to dry out. But this weather they have in that Ohio River Valley around Louisville can be very unpredictable, can be very wet. As we all remember back when World Championships were in Louisville, actually at a different venue, it was quite nasty. And in fact, it got to the point where they had to reschedule the elite races to be a day earlier because the river was going to basically flood and make the whole park into a big lagoon. So I don't think they're going to have to worry about that with this Joe Creason Park. It's not quite so close to the river, but it's going to be a very difficult course. If it's dry, Maybe it'll be a little bit mountain bikey, and if it's wet and muddy, it'll be very heavy. I think there could be a fair bit of running. 
There is a staircase in it with these limestone steps, and they've added a few different things since the Pan American Championship, such as a sand pit. They've rerouted a few aspects of the course, but it still does use a lot of this terrain, which, like I said, I think will really be the defining feature of this course, which is going to be a contrast to the Reno Nationals course that was back in January, where, yes, there was that hillside that had a pretty steep run-up and a bit of a gnarly descent, but... I feel like that course was predominantly flat grass with uh, flat corners, and this one will have a lot more vertical. Yeah, I suggest everyone check out the YouTube video done by CXHairs.com, Crosshairs. Um, you get to see a lot of the park. I mean, it was done, I think, during the summer months, so you see this lush Beautiful park, lots of trees. I'm sure it will be different on race day. But um, I feel like it does capture a lot of the terrain. At first, you're going along and it seems pretty flat. But midway through the video, you're starting to see some pretty sizable hills. And I don't know. I think that's cool because, I don't know, you just you don't want the dirt crit set up for nationals. Yeah, and you always have to be careful with course preview videos, especially the ones on the GoPro, because guaranteed it'll make it look far less steep, far less gnarly than anything. You have to take it with a grain of salt, but it gives you an idea of the layout. And you can try, you can take my word for it. Those hills are steep and they're gonna be very hard. Now, so like you said, if the weather is wet, we can expect mud, but I don't expect some of the real cruddy, difficult stuff that we've seen at cross nationals in years past. I'm thinking back to Hartford when it was frozen oh, ruts and ice. So, you know, knowing that the uh, expected um, conditions could be muddy, they could be dry. We're talking dirt, we're talking grass, we're talking hills. I got a, I got the weather forecast in front of me right okay. now. Beep, 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 Looking beep, like beep, we beep, might beep, get beep. a little rain at the end of the week. Ooh. Looking like the rain might pick up Thursday night. We'll see. Are there any riders that we think muddy, rainy, wet weather in the elite men's and women's field do we feel like any riders that could give a give an opportunity to let's start with the elite men's field i'd say you have to give Kerry Werner a lot of credit for his technical skills. He's been consistent all year. He just won the North Carolina Grand Prix in a very snowy and muddy day on Saturday. Sunday was actually canceled because it was too snowy. But of course, Stephen Hyde in resurgent form winning a muddy race at MBX Grand Prix the weekend prior. Dane and I talked to talked about that on the last podcast. Stephen Hyde is really the complete package when it comes to just raw power, fitness, as well as technical ability. Uh, Jeremy Powers will be in the mix. I'm not so sure if I expect him to contend for the win based on his recent results. But the thing you can say about Jeremy is he's probably the most experienced rider in that field. So he'll know how to handle it if, if the course conditions are changing rapidly, if things get weird like that. And then, of course, Curtis White, Jeremy Powers is excuse me, Curtis White is Stephen Hyde's teammate on Cannondale. And uh, White is a very well-rounded rider. He's younger. He's on great form right now. I'm not so sure what to expect from him, but I feel like he should make the final selection. It's just a question if he'll really be a factor in the last lap to a racing. All right, let's go through some storylines here because each of these guys, we'll get to the gals next, brings in a different storyline heading into this race. Let's start with Curtis White. Dane, you've spoken with Curtis White. What's the, what's the Curtis White storyline? What would it mean for him to win this race this year? I think the White storyline is, is emergence, would, I would say, this year. He has really emerged as the rider that I think a lot of people expected him to be for the last two years or so. Coming up as an under-23, a promising guy, he's had a lot of success this year. That success, though, largely when Stephen Hyde wasn't racing. So the, the big question, the, the narrative, I guess you could say, for White 
is can he continue to snatch those big wins uh, when his teammate is on the field? Because obviously Stephen Hyde is a very fast rider. And uh, I think White, he's lost a little bit of weight. He's improved as an all-rounder. This is a really good opportunity for him to show that he really has taken a step up uh, with White in, with uh, Hyde in the field. As far as what it would mean, I mean, I think this would probably be his biggest win uh, considering the field. Yeah, he's the Pan Am champion, but Hyde wasn't there. And I think if he can beat Hyde, his own teammate, at this race, that'd be huge for White. And White was also the Pan Am champion as an under-23 on this course in Louisville last year. So that's a pretty promising sign for me as well. But I will say one data point I have is that Stephen Hyde beat uh, Curtis White at NBX two weeks ago. So uh, I'm going to go next. Jeremy Powers. Uh, Jeremy Powers has had a disappointing season. He, uh, you know, as we've talked about multiple times, he had a strange mouth infection. He had back problems. He missed most of the season. Uh, He's come back. He actually looked pretty good this past weekend. I believe it was ruts and guts. It was. Outsprinted. He won the sprint for second place on Saturday. He was a third place. Yeah. White pipped him. It was real close. All right, then. Um, So Jeremy Powers, he's building into form. He came off of two week, uh, his usual two week training camp in Albuquerque. I spoke to him after that. He said that he did a huge week of volume with his teammate, uh, former teammate Spencer Petrov, and then did a week of real intensity. It's kind of the thing he's done for the last few years in the build up to nationals go to altitude, put in some long miles, put in some intense miles. And he feels like that was his first real solid block of intensity this entire season. So, you know, he said he's feeling good. He's feeling confident. He's feeling good and confident because he hasn't up to this point. What it would mean for him, I mean, this is, you know, the the living legend of American cyclocross right now. He was a four-time national champion in a row. Um, he has been trying to get back to that top step for years and years and years. Two years ago, we saw his protege, Stephen Hyde, overtake him at nationals. We saw Powers and Hyde battle each other throughout the North American campaign, 2016 and 17. And, you know, just the last few years, it's really seemed like Hyde has the upper hand. But guys, do you remember last year's national championships? In I Reno? was there. Yeah. Such a dynamic race. Very After good race. an entire season of injuries and disappointments, Jeremy Powers put it all together and really had a YOLO approach. I mean, it really <laughs> seemed like he was just like, you only live once, I'm going for it, surged to the front from the gun and went for it. And so, well, I'm with you, Spencer. I don't know if Jeremy Powers has the legs to win nationals. I am hoping he has the legs to be confident enough to have another YOLO approach. Yeah, I hope he makes it an animated race. That would be great to see. And it's uh, it could potentially be another battle between him and Stephen Hyde because, like I was just saying, Hyde coming on to decent form after some setbacks. The story of his season's really just been these crazy injuries he's had to fight through. He broke his sternum the first World Cup of the season, Waterloo, Wisconsin. That that took him, a, I'd say, about a month to recover from that. And then he got back to racing. And only a, only a couple weekends into his return to racing, he had this insane crash at Pan American Championships. I'm not sure if you could find it online, but the video of it's just disgusting because he he dismounts, rolls his ankle, and just body slams these concrete stairs on the course in the middle of the race. And that was, for him, another 
four weeks or so of recovery, and that's the ankle, and he had some, he had some dislocated, uh, I don't know, dislocated ribs or something. Ouch. Uh, yeah, crazy, and a, and a mild concussion. A lot of recovery for him, but he was committed to it, and he rode the trainer, spent his time working on it, and he said it's it's made him all the better because it's 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 re- reinforced his commitment and his his tenacity and, and that sort of thing and I tell you what I don't know how he has such an upbeat approach to this sort of stuff but it's he's he's the type of guy who can who can pull it off when when it comes to it what would it mean for his season to win nationals what does Stephen Hyde have riding on nationals this would be a big stepping stone for him into the European campaign that will begin essentially after this race in Louisville he's gonna fly out I think he told me the Tuesday after he's gonna head in and do the entire Christmas block of racing he's gonna stay there for worlds I think at winning the stars and stripes jersey again will give him the boost he needs to go into Europe and really be confident he's told me he wants to get a top 10 at world championships which is a huge objective and i don't know it's not out of reach and it certainly actually in a weird way could be helped by the fact that he has a few fewer races in his legs and he might be a little better rested when he heads over there i'm going a step further i say winning nationals saves his season if you look at this season without the nationals win if he loses i think you look at this season as a disappointment for Stephen Hyde. Yeah, fair enough. Seeing yeah. everything he's gone through. Not, not many re- results to his name otherwise. Mm-hmm. Talking about everything he's gone through, I am curious to see how aggressive he races and, and whether there's any impact of all those crashes and those injuries if he races any differently because of that. Yeah, I'm not too worried about it, Dane. He had this funny post, I think, on Instagram or Twitter after the NBX race where he showed a little video of him like shoulder checking this concrete wall that's next to the sand of that course in Rhode Island. And he had some funny thing to say like, oh, I guess the shoulder's fine now. So (laughs) as far as I can tell, I don't think he's holding back. He, you know, let's not forget he came up riding BMX and he told me he's just endured countless crashes and injuries over the years riding BMX. And that's a different sort of state of mind where you just, you never have that fear switch on. You just kind of keep keep operating the way you always have and and rely on your skills. I'm going to throw another name out there. A little X Factor name. Gage Hecht. Yeah, I like that name. Gage Hecht uh, is coming into this national championship race as an X Factor because he is technically still a U23, but he has opted to race in the elite Rens race. This is according to CXHairs.com, Crosshairs. Uh, Gage said that he he's going to do it. He's going to step up to it. And this comes after he just won both days of Ruts and Guts, which means he's on great form. He's won more than just that too, Fred. He's won four cross races in a row here in the U.S., those two Ruts and Guts races, the Resolution Cross Cup races. He also won under 23 Continental Championships, and he won the day prior uh, which was an elite UCIC2 race in Canada there. He's on a tear right now. This kid is a phenom. I've seen him come up through the ranks here in Colorado. It wouldn't surprise me if he was a, a factor in this final selection in the race. I don't think he's ready to win an elite national championship yet, but watch out. He could be a, a podium threat. What is it about Gage? What what makes him so strong? Is it his power? Is his handling? What What's so good about him? Yeah, he's a very versatile rider. He's kind of got the package of skills and pure raw power and fitness. I think what stands out to me about Gage Hecht is that 
He has a very calm state of mind as he races. It can, you can see it when he races. He's never flustered. He's never sloppy. He's never taking risks that are unnecessary. He controls things, you know, pretty much from start to finish. It's it's a it's a very mature way of racing, which is saying something for someone so young as him. But he's been racing cyclocross, boy, probably since he was in diapers. Yeah, talking about Hecht, I mean, he's also a road talent, uh, racing for the Avolo team, had a really nice year on the road this year, won a stage in Colorado. Uh, I remember talking to uh, Mike Creed a little bit about Hecht, uh, Creed being the guy that, that runs that team, and he was just talking about Hecht's, Hecht's abilities and Hecht's sort of skill set and how he is an extremely powerful rider, and he's not necessarily the most refined rider yet. And I can't remember exactly the, the phrase Creed used, but it was something along the lines of he's more of a blunt instrument. <laughs> and you just throw him at whatever challenge you got, and you know, he'll just hammer his way in there, and, and he'll figure it out because he's just got that power. So as we look at the men's field, I think it's time to uh, put money where mouth is. Uh, let's do a little podium, a little, little top three. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. Okay. I will say Stephen Hyde with the win. Yep. I think Kerry Werner is second. And then I'm going to give the third spot on the podium to Gage Heck. Okay. Dane. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'm going to go with Hyde for the win as well. I think as of last week, I was still thinking that he was not quite at that level. He has since shown us, I think, that he is back. And I think he's the best racer in American Cross right now. So he belongs up there. I'll put, uh, I'll put White second. And uh, let's go with Powers for third. He tends mm. to kind of round into form, and uh, this is a good race for him to uh, to do that. Mm. I am also choosing Stephen Hyde to win. I'm going to put Gage Hecht second because I think the blunt the blunt instrument mm. is extra blunt right now. <laughs> and then I'm going to go Curtis White for third. Mm. So all right, we'll see. Yeah, you can all uh, yammer at us online when we were super wrong. We love that. Uh, let's move on to the women's race because we have. Three women who are really, uh, they've kind of established themselves as the, the three dominant women in American cyclocross right now. Each one of them comes into this race with a different story, and each one of them has something different riding on this race. Uh, first off, the most obvious name, Katie Compton, going for her 15th consecutive national championship. I saw, I was there for numbers th- two, three, uh, seven. Uh, I don't know. I saw a bunch of them along the way. I saw her. Beat. You're, you're like the hipster of yeah. Katie Compton. The like cross wins. Yeah. You're like, well, I mean, <laughs> number ten and eleven was okay. Number number nine was really commercial. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You should have seen her beat Ann Knapp in 2004 and George Gould. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You think you're a fan? We'll name three of your favorite national wins. Um, <laughs> Katie Compton. Oh man, so good. You know, Spencer, you spoke to her last week. What's your assessment of the mindset that she's coming into nationals with? Mm, yeah, Katie Compton. I love talking with Katie because she is just very straightforward and blunt, and just doesn't doesn't have any need to dance around questions or the matter. And and the fact of it is that she's had a pretty disappointing season so far in Europe. She's been facing some of her usual challenges such as her breathing issues, uh, you know, some allergies cropped up in the early part of the season, but then she came down with a flu a little bit later and had still had this virus kind of lingering in her system. And it's just never really felt like herself entirely. She's had a few kind of races where the, had some looked all right at certain points. Uh, I think the burn world cup is one of the few highlights of her season so far. So with all that in mind, she told me in pretty, pretty much no uncertain terms that she thought this was going to be the the biggest challenge yet for her to, to defend the stars and stripes Jersey. She thinks that 
She's just not entirely confident in where her form is at. She's not entirely sure what the deal is with this virus, if it's cleared out of her system yet or not. Uh, and also she credits her rivals for for being better than ever, where it's uh, you've, of course, got Katie Keogh, who won her first World Cup this year in Iowa City, proving herself on very muddy course there, very difficult race. She's uh, She credits Katie Keogh for being a better runner. Uh, so if it's a very sloppy race in Louisville, that could be a, uh, an advantage to Keogh. She also says that uh, she thinks Ellen Noble's come a long way and that Ellen Noble could, could be a threat too in, the, in this uh, championship race. Ellen Noble, she thinks, is, uh, got a, has, has got a bit more of a turn of speed, a bit more of maybe a sprinter, and but also excellent technical skills, perhaps not as well suited for a heavy course, but uh, she's wary of both of those riders as real threats. What would it mean to Katie Compton to win this race? I, I mean, I, I think it would, uh, similar to Stephen Hyde, it would probably save her season. I, I think she she loves being a national champion. She loves having that jersey. I would imagine her bigger objectives that are still on her list before she finally retires from the sport are more centered around world championship results and World Cup results and things like that. Those are the places where I think she really wants to shine to finally check some things off her list. But I think she would be disappointed to not wear the Stars and Stripes jersey uh, through the following season. Yeah, I'm with you. I think that that would be a season saver, even if she went back to Europe and didn't do that great through the rest of the World Cups and the World Championships. Having number 15, you know, adding to her legend, she turned 40 this year. Uh, I feel like that would be a nice addition. I'm with you. I don't know. I mean, we've, we've it's so funny. <laughs> Thinking back the last decade and a half since I've been at Velo News, um, We've we've played this game so many times. Is this the year that Katie gets beat? There were some years where you could look at it and you were just like, ah, you know, it's not really worth having this debate because, you know, there were many years where Compton was the only American woman really racing full-time uh, on the European circuit and having that level of results, being so dominant. But in recent years, that question has been a little harder to answer. And then this year... Boy, it's really hard to answer. I mean, that's that's what really adds to the excitement of this race. Um, I'm going to be watching. Yeah, and listen back to my interview with her from last week's podcast if you want to hear a little more from her on the matter. She's definitely got some very interesting insight. And uh, like I said, it's always it's always uh, nice when when a when a professional writer of her stature has such candor. Uh, I'll go next. I'll talk about Ellen Noble. I have a piece on Ellen Noble going up online Tuesday. Check it out, um, Ellen Noble. Had a few phone calls with her. She's a very interesting person, and 2018 for her represents a major step forward in both form. So she's been very fast. She is currently leading the Pro CX standings, won three back-to-back race weekends. So she's obviously stronger this year, but really this year represents this huge step forward in self-confidence, in being just just happy with oneself racing. And a lot of that, as I found out from talking to her, has hinged on her ability to overcome some pretty deep anxiety issues that she had last year with racing. Um, yeah, I spoke with Ellen a few times and she told some stories about in 2017, uh, starting to realize that she was a public face in the sport and that people were really starting to pay attention to her. You know, she was 
the U23 World Cup champion the year before. She almost won U23 World Championships the year before. That really thrust her into the spotlight as this new fresh face of women's cyclocross. And with it came social media followers, people recognizing her at the races, fans, media attention. We did a lot of stories on her. And that had this big effect on Ellen Noble in that, you know, she she had this platform and she could talk about things like Bunny Hop the Barriers. But it also had this negative impact on her in that when she started to struggle and crash and bobble and have hard times in races, which whatever, that happens to everybody, um, she started to have this feeling like, oh my God, everyone's watching me. And she would think about that off the bike. Well, if I do great, if I do well, then that's great. But if I don't do well, everyone's going to be watching me. I am this pub- public face now. And it caused her some anxiety that um, boiled over at the Charm City race last year where she had a panic ra- a panic attack midway through the race. And she had a dropout, um, just you know, fits of crying, couldn't stop her heart from beating, um, felt sick to her stomach, and, and um, you know, ended up pulling out of the race. She said she had a couple more that year. And she came back to 2018 season, having raced on the World Cup campaign, developed some new skills, but just having invested some time, effort, and money in addressing these fears. Uh, She said she started working with a sports psychologist. Um, She had to create a network of people around her that she could talk about her anxieties with and, and really get her head prepared for the season. And I don't know, guys, so far it seems like it's, it's done pretty well. Yeah, she's definitely proven herself, especially these domestic races. I think she's still waiting to have that real breakthrough race uh, against the European heavies. But uh, who knows? A, a, race, a win at nationals would be a huge, huge step for her. Yeah, it was an interesting thing. So she had a sort of she had a disappointing World Cup round, but the way you could tell it was disappointing was basically she just wrote a Instagram post about it, and that's how she dealt with it. And it wasn't like. You know, she had a meltdown or anything. So having a disappointing World Cup campaign in her eyes actually represented a step forward. So again, yeah, that would be a huge win for her. Uh, next on our list is noted Dirty Kanza champion, Katie Keogh. Uh Katie Keogh won a World Cup earlier this year. She's a little bit quiet since then. She uh, was in the top 10, top teens of the World Cups. She's always been, oh, just a couple... Um, gears lower than Ellen Noble in some of these domestic races. But Katie Keogh has been knocking on the door for chan- for nationals for longer than we think. I, she's 26, 27 now, and she's actually done this race in the elite women's field, I, th- I think, five or six years now. Yeah, and actually, I feel like she's starting to come around for nationals as well with uh, wins at both days at the NBX Grand Prix uh, a couple weeks back. So I, I like how Katie Keogh has been riding this season. I feel like it's smart to have that strong early season showing at the American World Cups. And yeah, maybe you need to throttle back a little mid-November or end of October so that you can ramp back up in time for nationals and in time for your run in Europe. But she's she's very mature by this point. Yeah, you're right. She's been racing elite, elite national championships for several years now. I think a win for Katie Keogh would not be like a season saver because she's already had an amazing season. Yeah, the World Cup to me is, yeah. yeah. I think if anything, though, it would signal just uh, changing of the guard. Definitely. It would be, okay, now this is confirmation. Katie Keogh is now on the throne, both literally and figuratively in American women's cyclocross. Well, we have a bunch of awesome stories to pay attention to heading into this race weekend. 
the elite men's and women's races are on Sunday. Yes. Uh, Chris, we'll be able to stream them live on yep. Velo News. We'll put the put the stream up there. Find the link right on our homepage. And Chris Case will be out there. I believe he is racing for a Masters National Championship. That's right. I think his race is Friday. Yeah. So we'll have a full report on the Masters race. Oh, a deep dive. I mean, we're talking web, like feature, like thousands of words. Well, isn't that what the whole magazine redesign is centered around? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our own, our own riding and racing ambitions. Awesome. Yeah, we'll start out. We'll really set the scene. Beautiful. Chris Case was breathing. No, this, okay. is, this is not going to happen. All right. <laughs> um, okay, before we get out of here, guys, um, we're going to hear from TJ Van Garderen, who, oh man, t- t- talk about a person who has a big 2019 coming up. Um, um, I wouldn't say a make or break year, or should I say it? Is it a make or break year? Eh, Spencer's doing the maybe face. Mm, yeah. Sure. I mean, he's had so much success over the last few years, the, the last couple more recent years have been a little bit on the quiet side, but um, I don't know, Dane, what do you think? Is that change of scenery going to do TJ good? I, it, it won't hurt, that's for sure. I think uh, I think he could really thrive in a different environment, and, and he talks about this a little bit, just to, uh, how he expects the philosophy of the team to be a little bit different, and how EF is a place where he thinks the chances might be a little bit more spread out. And I think that sort of takes a little bit of pressure off of him. Uh, with with BMC, there were times where he was the guy and the team didn't have a backup plan and it was all pressure on TJ. Uh, I think that's a little bit different for EF. And uh, yeah, so hopefully for, for TJ at least, that will uh, translate to some results. And, and I think the other question is trying to figure out what the, what the goals are for TJ and what his... Uh, what his niche is within the sport because, yeah, his Grand Tour successes haven't quite been what, what I think he and a lot of people expected from him when he landed fifth at the Tour a couple of years ago. But at the same time, he has had some nice results in some big domestic races. He has had a Grand Tour stage win in the last two years. So it's just a matter of trying to figure out well, what is what is his niche? What is, what is it that TJ is going to be gunning for? And what is success for TJ, defining success for TJ? Uh, that's what I think we're still going to find out because I don't know that, that the top five of the Tour – it's going to happen, <laughs> you know, what he, what he was able to achieve in the past. But, you know, winning a tour of California is a big deal, and that might be something that he's going for. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but, yeah, he, he talks about that a little bit uh, in our chat. All right. Let's hear from TJ Van Garderen. In terms of the, the, the sort of the vibe, the atmosphere at EF, in comparison to BMC, where you've been for the last several years, how are you expecting that to be different? And, and you know, specifically, what about that attracted you to EF? Um, well, I think they definitely have a more relaxed philosophy, um, kind of lower, lower pressure, so to speak. And, and yeah, I think, uh, I think their philosophy is just kind of, you have to, you have to enjoy it. You have to have fun. You have to, um, it's not all, I don't know. The BMC was really focused on world tour points, and I think uh, I think EF is going to have more of a focus on quality victories, regardless of whether or not they attribute to a world tour ranking. Right, right, right. Um, so I think you know, I think for them, you know, races like Tour of Utah or Colorado Classic or Tour of California races that don't carry a whole lot of weight in the world tour, it's still going to be important to them because, you know, it's an American race and American team sponsors. And, uh, 
and and it's a place where you can get a quality win. So, um, yeah, I think they're, you know, they, it's, it's less like if we don't perform at the Vuelta Catalunya, um, they're not going to start stressing that we're down on points or anything. Not to say that there's not um, going to be pressure attached to getting results or to certain races we go and try to perform, but it's, uh, I think it's, it's just a different mindset on what they're trying to achieve. Sure. Yeah. You mentioned the, uh, the American trio of races there. Are you expecting to make those a target next year or at least some of them, uh, for your calendar? I'd like to, I mean, I haven't had a, I haven't had a full sit down with what my, what my program's going to be and laid everything out in that respect. But, um, I think, uh, trying to spend a little bit more time in the U.S. There's certainly, you know, historical races that I'd love to to target in the spring and um, in summer over in Europe. But, um, but yeah, I think, uh, you know, for me and for my family and for, um, you know, just, just general happiness to being able to spend a little bit more time at home uh, would be good. And, you know, I have a perfect opportunity to do that with all of these, all of these races that are here. Did you talk to the team much when you were signing or have you talked to the team much uh, since then about what your expected role is going to be as a, as a contender, as a leader, you know, as a, as a member of the team in 2019? Yeah, I think, I mean, that's another kind of key difference between, I think BMC and the way EF functions is that is it they don't really seem to go into a race with like you're our leader, we're all rallying around you, we have one goal. Um it's more of like a like if you if you have good legs and you show up, you know, we'll we'll show up with multiple goals, but if you if you're proving that you're fit, we'll rally around you. Sure. Um, so I think that's a, I think that's a much healthier approach because it seemed like um, on BMC, if you would go in with the approach of everything's for one guy and that guy has a bad day, you kind of are left with nothing. And I think there was, there was quite often that, um, you know, we'd show up to the classics and it would be all for Phil. And, you know, sometimes Phil would perform like you would win Amstel and it would be great. But other times he might have a bad day or a, a puncture at a, at a wrong time. And then it's like the team ends up with absolutely nothing. So they, they really did this all or nothing approach. And um, there were a lot of times that we were left disappointed. Um yeah, I think on EF, it's if you're good, you're good, and you can go and take your chance, ask for help, and um, and yeah, it'll be more of a uh, a group effort, and you know the pressure is a little bit more evenly distributed, and everyone can have their chance. I mean, do you expect that to translate to you turning into more of a stage hunter? Is is that kind of where you're going when you say that? Um, no, I mean, I think. When I look back on my career, my talents are in GC, and that's a bit more of a straightforward uh, 
way to approach things because, um, you know, if I go into a race saying like, oh, I'm just going to stage hunt, and then I, I sit in the Gruppetto and I let a couple of opportunities slip, and then I pick my day and then I miss the breakaway, and now I pick my day and someone has better legs than me than that day. It's like, you know, you just, uh, there's never, well, there's never guarantees in anything, but I feel like there's so much less guarantee when you're just stage hunting. I think most of the races I go to, I'm going to go with the ambition of, of GC and then kind of use stage hunting as a backup. Like if I, ha- I have an unlucky crash or puncture or something happens, then it's like, okay, reassess the goals. Now we're stage hunting. I know you said you have yet to really nail down the schedule for next year, but do you have a, an, an idea of if you'll do a grand tour and, and if so, which grand tour or grand tours you'll be uh, kind of targeting for 2019? I'd hope to do the tour. So obviously the team has Rigo, who's who's you know been on the podium at the tour before. Do you have a do you have a sense of your role kind of sliding in alongside Rigo and and you know how it will work having both of you in the same squad if if uh, if it's both of you at the tour? I mean, it's kind of the way I just answered the question a couple minutes ago with um, going like less going in with the goal of we're all for one guy. I mean, if if we end up going to the tour and and they say, okay, everything's for Rigo. We're a hundred percent dedicated to Rigo. You know, that's, that's, um, I'm fine with that, but that's not the, the sense I get from the philosophy of the team. It's more like I laid out before of like, um, you guys take your chances. Um, we'll help you guys out. And, you know, whoever proves that they, you know, things happen and you have to go with the flow of the race. But, um, but yeah, I don't expect, the whole team to be everything for Rigo, and I also don't expect everything to be for me. I think uh, I think we can work together well, and I think um, everyone's going to have their chance. Well, that's TJ Van Garder, and we're going to keep our eyes on him 2019. Guys, before we get out of here, I got one question for you. If you were in the European Beach Race Championships, what would be your strategy, your tactic? Uh, Dane, what would you do to try and win the European Beach Race Championships? Uh, I think I would do the strategy that I generally have in mind if I'm ever out on a bike, which is what would Spencer do? I would just try to follow Spencer in a, in a oh. bike ride because he's, you know, he's, he's good. He's wow, fast. Wow, that is an I'll epic follow pa- Spencer. Epic pass the buck wow. right there. So Spencer, what is it that you think you would do? That's pretty disappointing, <laughs> Dane. Um, you know, I think I'd probably just engage in some real hardcore doping. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of my only shot at this one. And I doubt they have any controls at these races. Just a bunch of hyper amped up low country people, all cabin fever from a long fall and winter. And they're just ready to go. And you need all the help you can get there. And failing that, I would just drink as much coffee as possible to just be super duper caffeinated and, just pray. Just just hope and pray. How interesting would that be if it would, that's where you got popped for like trying to win the beach beach worlds? I'm yeah. sure it's only a matter of time. Beach masters. That's, beach how, that's masters where you got popped. Worlds. That's a terrible answer. Don't dope people. Spencer's just joking. That's oh. a hypothetical. Very Actually, hypothetical. He's, he's shaking his head. No, it's I think he would do it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Bad guy. He had kicked, okay. kicked off the podcast. Uh, my strategy, I think, since it is at the beach, is I would wear a wetsuit because, uh. yeah, you know, in those races, they look pretty cold, rainy. I just feel like um, the clothing is like the deciding factor. So I would maybe wear a scuba suit, maybe scuba tank, maybe uh, 
go scubaing instead of doing the beach race championship because it didn't look fun at all. No, no. it looks terrible. Well, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at pocketoutdoormedia.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on felonews.com. Subscribe to the Felonews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Felonews on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash felonews. The Felonews podcast is produced by Felonews, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Felonews podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing the Bernard Pretty Classic Soldier. Oh, 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 oh